I'm glad to be here, be back with you, and, and trust that uh, Brother Daniel hasn't said too many wild words about fire and all that. I'd like to live up to his expectations, but rather live up to his And uh, I always appreciate Brother Daniel, people that will go to work for the
over this for some 20 years various times and I think the reason is this because we fail to focus on our purpose in the 19 69 version of the true Methodist book of discipline, you'll find these words under the heading The Purpose of Free Methodism, paragraph 16. The founders of Free Methodism in 1816 
purpose of the church was to preach scriptural holiness over the land. That was the first volume of that I ever read. And when I read those words, boy, it really hit me that if we do that, you and I, it's not just my responsibility, or Brother Daniels, or this sister, or that brother back there. It's our responsibility. We have got a lot of work to do to rebuild the Lord's church and spread scripture alone. We need to rebuild the church, it seems to me. And I am not talking about this. This will do fine. I'm talking about this. The church. What Jesus said the church was. You and me. All of us together. That is the church. I want you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. This morning, chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. I believe it's got it on the screen and the version that I will be reading from the King James. The book of Nehemiah is God's history of how Nehemiah rebuilt and restored the temple in Jerusalem. You see that kings and some people had rebelled against the church in Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord that Solomon had built. They tore it down. They leveled the wall, and people couldn't go there to worship anymore. And Nehemiah, when he heard about this, he got a burden to rebuild the temple of God, their house of prayer, their house of worship. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, beginning at the very first chapter, gives a very detailed account of how they went about this after Sanballat and all of them gave him permission to go in there and rebuild Jerusalem. He tells exactly what each group or each person was to do in rebuilding this this temple or did. So it's quite a detailed account, and you don't want to be here the rest of the day. Uh, I'll be like the old farmer uh, and the preacher, the new preacher that's on to the church. And uh, so he got all ready for church, and one old farmer came in to build stone walls, so that was the back of the preacher waited, but he showed up. One farmer, he said, well, what do you think I ought to do? And he said, well, don't make any difference to me if I've got one cow or twenty cows. They have to be fed. And the preacher 
preacher said, oh yeah, amen. And he started preaching. And he preached and he preached. And an hour went by. Fifteen minutes went by. And the preacher got through and looked back and he said, well, what do you think? And the farmer said, well, I'm just a simple farmer. But I know better than to try to feed one cow a whole load of hay. Well, I'll not try to feed you the whole load, but I do want to give you what the Lord gave me. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation, and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and said, What do these people Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish they'll burn they'll pull it down burn the door set it on fire Good Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that that which they feel, if a fox go upon it, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own heads. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the building. Now listen to this verse. So, we built the wall. All the wall was joined in the half thereof. For the people had a mind. For the people had a mind. One more verse of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you have trouble finding that in your Bible. And mine. One verse. Chapter 9, verse 10. You can remember that. It's real easy. You can memorize it. Ecclesiastes. Nineteen. Hard to remember. 
whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave whether Lord God, what we need most for this morning is your anointing on these words. I pray, Lord, you keep your promise to us that your word would go forth. Lord, you know to me this is a different kind of a message than I usually preach in the morning. But God, I pray you would help me and humble me and allow me, Lord God, to speak in such a way that folks could understand that we might all come together to work and to do your will about everything we do. Read those first four chapters. That's what he needs for you. And my friend, that is what we need to do. Now I've heard prayers of a lot of ministers, and I've read books about a lot of ministers' prayers, and I'm very slow to try to tell somebody else how they should pray. But I've noticed, especially in one place where I was at, visiting with some folks, when they prayed, the minister started out their prayer by telling God who he was. And they went on to tell God what he had done. Now I know I should have been praying myself, but you know, and you do the same thing, that a lot of times when somebody else is praying in the church, that you don't pray yourself. You listen to what they're saying. Especially when they drag it on and 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 keep on praying. And one of the great ministers, I believe it was Dwight L. Moody, who was with some other ministers in Chicago, had met and they had planned to have dinner that evening and discuss the condition of their churches. And he called upon one of them to pray, and the guy decided to impress Dwight L. Moody. So he fell to his knees and began to pray, and 
I believe it was Moody that said, after 15 minutes, I asked my brother, let's get up and go order our meal while this brother changes up on I'm not one to tell people how long, what they should pray for, and all that kind of thing, but I'll remind you, have you ever heard God? Have you ever noticed it don't take very many words to God to convict you of sin? Have you ever noticed how much God can say in one sentence and maybe not say another thing. Well, I tell you, he can be hard on you and he can take just a few words and fill you full of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. So, let me just give you this example about prayer because this is what Nehemiah did first. He prayed and our prayer should be a two-way conversation. Not you filibustering the gates of hell. You know what filibustering means, don't you? It means that you take the conversation and you keep on talking and you don't let nobody else say anything, and you just keep on and on and on. That's not prayer, my friend. Prayer is a two-way conversation where you speak to God, and then you shut up and let God speak to you. And you've got to do it somewhere in a quiet place. You can't always do it here in the church. You've got to get somewhere where it's nice and quiet, like a cave, like Elijah did. And then, if God don't make it sound like thunder coming from heaven, it'll be like a So let's move on to the second thing. The people that Nehemiah got to rebuild the temple there had a purpose. The pre-Methodists had a purpose for breaking away from the Methodists. And if we lose sight of our purpose, I don't believe that God will bless our So we need to determine what our purpose is, and we need to focus on it, and we don't let other things break our focus. I've been pretty hard over the years when I spoke about some of the things we do. 
We have spent enough money digging holes for water in Africa. They all look like all for I get emails every day or two from two missionaries that we support. Eduardo and Cindy, who are missionaries to Portugal. Portugal. They do what we call planting churches. I don't know why we go around trying to plant churches when we ain't got enough seed to plant the ground we've already got. And they send me letters and they show me crowds of 50 people, 60, in the new church and building another one and all of that. And at the bottom of the email, thank you for your financial assistance. Send more. Not in those exact words. I look around our church this morning. I can tell you how many people are going to be there. Boy, oh. I look here, and this church would hold maybe a hundred people. And what have we got? 30? 40? And all the churches over there, we're going to eventually get to the place that we're going to have to ask them send us some missionaries here to the United States send us some money over here to keep our churches going because we've got churches that are going bankrupt and in the last hundred years you've already heard me and I don't think I've counted them all So there's got to be something wrong. And the purpose, I think I found it. It's in a book. He warned us about leaving our first love. By that, I've been to places and churches. There's a lot of old ones in churches now or churches. And people will get up and they're saying, the gospel sending fruit. People are just shouting and hooting and hollering and dancing in the And they come up from all that old dark, and they say, if you can 
And he says, he tells us in this book, it's called the book of Matthew. Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 18, 12, Jesus said, How thank you? Or in NIV, I think, what do you think? If a man have a hundred sheep, that's what it's called. How many were it? A hundred? I believe it. If you have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth. The same thing shout, dance, happy, jump, boot, holler, run, and aisle. He rejoiceth more. Of the one sheep, than of the ninety-nine that didn't go in it, didn't go astray. Right. Verse fourteen. Even so, is not the will of your Father in heaven, which is in heaven, that one of the little ones should perish? So we got our. Purpose lined out. Our purpose is not to save the continent of Africa. Our purpose is not to send missionaries all over the world. Our purpose is not to send somebody from here to California for some big convention. Our purpose as a church, and I stand on is to seek and to save that which was lost and that is clearly outlined in the very beginning documents of our church from 1860. And when we've lost that, we've lost our way. Third thing, Nehemiah. This. The people, not the pastor, the people found something they could do 
because they had a mind working. You see, all the little things that have to be done to keep a church working, all of the little things contribute to the saving Don't they? Everybody. Now, I want to go over. I mentioned a while ago about giving. Everybody wants to give to I want to give to God. I want to lay hands on Where I went to church up in Scotland used to be a big sort of a fellow that had a, a slight mental And I'll never forget, almost every time we had an opportunity to testify, Steve would stand up and he would say, I thank God for salvation. done that four or five times, I thought, I know I've seen that, but where is it? And sure enough, he said, the gift of help. You ever heard anybody pray for a gift of help? Did anybody ever come to you and say, preacher, I wish you'd lay your hands on me and give me the gift of help. I've never heard it. Still haven't heard anybody ever do that. But they want the gift of other things. I remember in the first church that I pastored, a farmer whose wife was very faithful to the church. Her father had been a free Methodist minister. And Bill was just a simple farmer that never graduated grade school. We had an evangelist that came in, one like you described, not me, but one like you described there before the fire and all that. Brother Doyle Sadler, I invited him to come to our church for revival. Somehow, after being there for two or three years, I convinced Bill to come and listen to Brother Sadler. Brother Bill sat down back there about this way to the church, and Brother Doyle was preaching a sermon similar to this, but some different from this, I don't know. But Brother Doyle was anointed with power from on high. And he said, you worry about, you can't find anything to do in the church. It doesn't make any difference. God's got a job for everybody, even if it ain't nothing but raising taters. If that's all you can do, raise taters, 
braise all the taters you can, got right in Brother Bill's face, didn't know him from Adam, and he said, and give God one tater out of every ten. I don't think Brother Bill ever missed a sermon or a ministry or a church service while I was there after that. Because Brother Doyle had presented something that he could do for the Lord. Every one of us here have a job to do for the Lord. I like to use this because to me this is the most base thing that I can easily come up with. What is your job for the Lord? What is your labor for the Lord? Is it that God has called you to clean the toilet? What's that got to do with our purpose? That, my friend, I'm going to show you, is a part of seeing souls saved. You can't see it as being a work for the Lord because He ain't opened your eyes yet. Listen, you're going to get them old. You go out to understand, I know what I've got to do for the Lord. I've got to go out there and witness to people. And so you go out and you witness to these folks, and you get mom and dad to come with you. And the person that God's called to clean the toilet hadn't showed up in a month. And one of them stopped up and the other one just full up. And this new family has to take the little boy and one and the little girl and another to use the toilet. And the toilets are practically useless, are useless in one and filthy in the other. And those new visitors that the pastor or some witness has convinced to come into the church see all of that, and here's what goes through their mind. The person that God calls 
like a part of the body, and I got my hand called on this, and I'm going to use a strong word. You see, if the body of Christ has the hand cut off, there's something the body of Christ can do. If the body of Christ has the leg cut off, or the leg just won't get up and move, the body Got some names called out the other day. We're using this song. If the brain of the body of Christ quit working the way it's supposed to, the way God called it to, the whole body is retarded. Oh, don't say that word. We don't use that word, preacher. Because it really means something. So you see, the whole body, every one of us here, have a job that God wants us to do as a part of the body of Christ. I want them off the floor. I want a vacuum. I want them to be windows. All of these jobs, all of them, can I convince you that they have something to do with that person that will come to the altar, bow down and call upon the name of the Lord, and be saved. Don't wait for the preacher to find you a job. Don't wait for somebody to call on you or you pray or give money or give a tithe out of that evening. The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it. How, preacher, with thy might, as old hillbillies would say, get her done. Get her done. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. 
you can believe this, the Lord will build his church. If we will do what I've covered, pray, keep our eyes focused on our purpose, we can do a lot of things besides the purpose. But we've got to keep our eyes on the main goal. That is to seek and to save that which is lost. And if we will develop a mind to work instead of live on welfare, God is spirit. So he needs us to be his hands, his feet, his eyes, his brain, everything. He needs us to act for him, for him to get things done. Does that make sense to you? And have you read that when Paul speaks about the body of Christ? That God working and moving through us is what accomplishes things for the kingdom of God. I never had thought about it until a month or so ago. Satan. Oh, yeah. You know, you're getting ahead of me now. And if Satan wants bad things done, He's got to have people to do it for him. And he's got plenty of them.
I wonder if you just sit back and say, oh, I can't do that. Whatever it is, about, every eye closed, before we 